This is the Two Man Weave Podcast with Doug Haller and Jody Ayler. Stay up to date with all Arizona and Arizona State basketball news by downloading the AZ Central Sports app in the Apple Store or Google Play and follow our entire team at azcentral.com. Welcome to another edition of the Two Man Weave Podcast alongside Doug Haller, AZ Central Sports on Twitter at Doug Haller. I'm Jody Ayler, host of The Drive on Fox Sports 910 Phoenix on Twitter at Radio J-O-D-Y. What a difference a week makes, Doug. I mean, we live <laughs> in a scandal-plagued society. We have never been... At any point, I don't think, in human history, have we been quicker <laughs> to cycle through scandals and controversies. Because it's Tuesday. All last week was nonstop Sean Miller, Arizona scandal. My entire Twitter timeline of non-college basketball people were talking about. Not that Twitter's a great barometer for what we should be discussing. It's not? Otherwise, this would be the hot dog sandwich podcast. But today and this week, Arizona beats Stanford, Arizona beats Cal, and I would measure to say the worst is probably behind because no one's really talking about this scandal anymore. People were talking about Arizona possibly or maybe should pull out of the patch hole tournament. Now they're a Final Four contender again. Correct. Um, we were talking before we started that it seems like the last two weeks we we come here, we talk about all the issues surrounding Arizona basketball and then um, feel good about it. And then the next day, all hell breaks loose, right. <laughs> which, which makes everything that we discuss pretty much meaningless. It happened with Alonzo Trier and then Sean Miller. You know, we were saying last week that we don't see how he could return. Of course, he's back. Um, so who knows what's going to happen uh, over the next two days? <laughs> we have no idea of, of predicting that. Let's quickly go back to the statement Sean Miller made. And, and let's I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Obviously, you and I have much bigger fish to fry now that the tournament, Pac-12 and NCAA tournament, is on the near horizon. But let's go back to the statement Sean Miller made last week. Um, you know, what I was told, uh, after spending some time down in Tucson was that his wife accompanied to him, him to McHale center. Um, she was hanging out in the basketball offices while he made the statement. When people saw his wife accompany him to that, there was a sense within the athletic department that Sean Miller was likely to resign. No one knew really. I, I mean, outside of maybe Robbins and Hickey, what was going on. The first four or five lines of Sean Miller's statement, it, it sounded as if he was setting up for a gracious at least exit for the season before he pivoted and started hammering away at the story, at the details, at the allegations of impropriety, all of it very legally parsed, all of it very, very specific, but very defiant, never called out Mark Slaybaugh by name or ESPN that, by name. That was interesting. And my, uh, yeah, and I, I'm curious your thoughts on why that is. I've I've got a, a theory on it, but then he went out and coached and uh, showed up and beat Stanford and in the post game press conference and answered questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I just we talked about this on the last podcast. I wish he would have started with the statement, you know, back when all this happened on that Thursday before the Oregon game. Went to Matthew Knight Arena, gave his statement, said, "Now I'm going to step away," because I think it would have won over public opinion a little bit more because Sean Miller is so, he's so good in mm -hmm. front of the camera and you could read his emotions and you could almost feel his intensity and <laughs> how 
Uh, his, you could almost feel his anger. I mean, I watched it just on, online. I was here in Tempe. I couldn't get down there. Because they gave us 45 minutes heads up. <laughs> I mean, it was like, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and I could feel it coming through just watching it uh, on my laptop. But it, I wasn't surprised. It, to me, it was interesting that he never mentioned ESPN. Right. Um, and I also felt like not only there with his statement there, but then after the game and then what the school president said, you know, they, they've, they're keeping this within the framework of DeAndre Aiden and specifically the ESPN report. The ESPN report said he was on wiretap discussing DeAndre Aiden. They provided a very sound case that no, we did not, or no, Sean did not. So, you know, that's interesting that they kept it, you know, and I know Sean said I've never, um, you know, offered money to a recruit and all that, but I felt like they very, they kept it very contained. Yes. Uh, in relation to the ESPN story. And it was also, uh, of course, you know, what's left hanging out there is that at no point in that statement did he say we, us, or my staff. And so it opens up the – like Sean Miller. Yes, I believe that Sean Miller has never directly paid a recruit money out of his wallet <laughs> or written him a check or PayPal'd he, him uh, uh, an amount of money to attend the U of A. You don't think he reached back in his back pocket and pulled out his checkbook <laughs> right. and said, let's see, no. <laughs> are there two T's in, uh, in Aiden or what? Right. No, I – I mean, I find that very believable, but again, it doesn't answer the bigger picture question of exactly through the totality of the Arizona basketball program, what had been going on with Book Richardson, Sean Miller, and Joe Pasternak was also there. The ESPN thing, my my theory on that, and I'm curious your thoughts, that he never directly mentioned them. Um, a lot of people expected a lawsuit coming at ESPN. I talked to Michael McCann of Sports Illustrated, said, Defamation lawsuits for public figures are virtually impossible to win. And so it, it would be a fool's errand for Sean Miller to, to file a lawsuit. But every college coach still needs ESPN to succeed. And I felt like Sean Miller was basically tacitly acknowledging by not directly calling out ESPN and the reporter, I'm going to need, if I'm going to continue to survive and coach, I'm going to need the platform of ESPN. And in some ways... The support down the road again of ESPN if I want to rebuild the program to where I want it to go. That's my theory. Yeah, maybe I don't, it's maybe it's less. I don't than know. That. It, possibly, I don't know what to think of that. I was surprised that he did. I mean, he made it very clear who he was talking right. about. But yeah, it's it's interesting that he never mentioned ESPN at all. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to narrow it down as far as that goes. I mean, it was clear what they were talking about. Maybe they know that something else, maybe the Yahoo guys are going through this yeah. and, and maybe they might have something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I, I, he didn't want to risk or invite a lawsuit from ESPN because ESPN standing by their story and saying it's accurate. And I suppose it's still possible that the story is accurate. Parts of it. We haven't heard the tape, so we don't I, know. I don't think we're, I don't think we're ever going to hear Damn the it. tape. <laughs> I, I really don't. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this on the last podcast that all the ESPN people falling in line – to me, right. it's one of two things. They they were told to, or they know who the source is that's telling that fed Mark Schleyball that information. I kind of wonder if it's the latter. And they yeah. know that that's such a credible source that they feel like, you know what, maybe we messed up on some details, but we're going to stand by our story because that's a that's a damn good source. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to that too. I guess Mark Schleyball did finally talk. He did, yes. Uh, on television. He did. Uh, and stood by his story. Basically and said, essentially, I forget the verbatim. I didn't do my prep for the podcast, I apologize. But it was like um, something like, uh, we'll see if the if the if if we ever get the wiretaps, 
We'll find out if it's true or not. Right. So he did qualify it a little bit, but stood by his source. Yeah. Now, I was down in Tucson, as, as you were, yeah. for the Stanford game. And, you know, it was, it was, inter- I've never been, obviously, never been in a situation like that. I was not surprised that Sean got a standing ovation when, right. he, when he came out for the national anthem, when he came out for the game, when he came back out for halftime. Um, you know, I, I didn't expect anything less. Any fan base, I think, would have would have done that. Uh, they played. I thought they played okay against Stanford. The press, the post game press conference was interesting. It was uh, the whole reason I went down. I just wanted to get a little taste of that post game press conference. It was, and there were really no limitations nope. on. I mean, Sean was asked about. I can't remember the exact question, but it kind of related to what everything's gone on. He said, "I'm going to stick by my statement." But you know, over the next 15 minutes, he 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 revealed more. In that post-game press conference, than he has throughout the entire uh, season, correct. In relation to the FBI probe and everything, yeah, he didn't tell us a whole lot, right? But he he showed, I thought, the human side of him. That man, yeah. that this is. I mean, you walked out of that press conference like this has been a hard a hard time for him. And I thought the most interesting things were he had not been around the team. Dusan Ristich said, I asked him, I said, did you see Sean much? And he said, he, today was the first day. That day, game day, was the first time they had seen him all week. I asked Sean. Uh, were you involved in the game plan? And he said, no, not at all. He was not around the team, involved nope. in any ba- basketball activities whatsoever. So it makes you wonder, was he suspended? Or was that entire time just spent in front of uh, administration or university officials trying to figure out whether or not, you know, what the truth was? Right, right. No, I agree. And and that 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 whole post-game press conference was interesting because you could tell Sean Miller had, had a near professional death experience. Yeah. Like his demeanor, he wasn't the same confidence in his voice that you typically get from Sean there was there was an emotion a fatigue sort of a there was relief a relief and and almost like I, I don't want to say fear but you could tell like he just got done experiencing like if you think about it, if you're Sean Miller he was this close to never coaching serious basketball again I mean for 72 hours and I'm not I refuse to believe like the athletic department and the athletic director and the president probably had the same reactions that everybody else had on Saturday, which was, oh, crap, our coach is busted. What are we going to do? Because the reputation of ESPN journalistically prior to this is really, really good. So it was a natural human reaction, I think, to have that. But they obviously took their time and credit to them for not reacting or overreacting immediately. But you could tell Sean was different. And when he was asked sort of about long-term stuff of the course season, he was basically like, listen, man, uh, it's day to day for me now, and yeah. and that's that sounds like someone that has a near death experience. And like, hey, what are you doing next week? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to enjoy today. And he had a near professional death experience, and you could tell. And um, no one asked him really any pointed questions. You and I were both in there, and I don't know what those pointed questions would have been. I don't know if somebody needed to ask him, you know, anything else. But it was it was very interesting. It really was. Yeah, and I will uh, just. To piggyback off what you said, I do give uh, the university a lot of credit because I think in that situation, it's very hard to be patient and let the process play out in today's age of social media because, you know, that took off and, you know, everyone, I don't want to say everyone assumed that he was guilty, but um, it was, it was going that direction. I mean, everyone just, everyone pretty much, they knew, I think the reputation of Mark Schleyball and his reporting, yep. which has been really solid. Uh, so you, everyone had their doubts. They did. Uh, you know, some people may have crossed the line in the way they reported or uh, written on it. But, you know, the fact that they did re- investigate it, I think, says a lot for them. Now, you know, I think there are a lot of people who think, like, this is they're in the clear on this. Yeah. 
you know, we're I think we're in a we're in a week to week phase with this invest or week to week situation with this investigation. You know, who knows what's going to come out because it seems like you know the Yahoo guys are continuing to report and it seems like things are continuing to get leaked. I don't I don't see an ending anytime soon. I don't either, and you know better than I do when it comes to investigative reporting like this. Once there's a breach in the dam. It doesn't get plugged up and forgotten about. This typically leads to more, and then eventually the whole dam's going to burst. Now, the reality for Arizona and Sean Miller is, in many ways, even if there are no more media leaks, this is probably a two- or three-year FBI investigation. Everybody says FBI investigations take, federal cases take a really long time. It could be two more years. They wake up every day with the potential reality of another leak happening, of more incriminating or damaging information or unflattering information. And that's a difficult reality to live in if you're the Arizona Athletic Department and you just want to continue to preserve the brand of Arizona basketball over all else. On the other hand, let's say they get through the season. I don't you know, win the championship, get bounced in the first round. It doesn't matter. Let's say they get through and they decide it would be in the best interest of the program to just separate ways from Sean Miller, divorce themselves from from what they believe is sort of the root cause of that uncertainty. Well, that doesn't solve anything because the NCAA (laughs) trouble doesn't follow Sean Miller. It stays at U of A. And so if you get rid of Sean Miller, the question they have to ask themselves is, could we realistically find a better coach than a wounded Sean Miller to take over this program? Or is it worth it to have the clean break perception-wise? I, I Honestly, Doug, I think if you boil it down, Sean Miller may not have a better opportunity than Arizona, and Arizona may not have a better alternative to Sean Miller. And they may just, in some ways, be kind of stuck with each other. And Sean may need to be more of the Xavier Sean Miller, not recruiting DeAndre Ayton's, Aaron Gordon's, of the world, but recruiting two and three star kids that he gets the most out of. And that may be the most realistic scenario going forward. I could see that. Uh, Just if nothing else comes out on Arizona, say, you know, with the FBI investigation, other programs are involved, this program gets hammered, but nothing. At the very minimum, you have the Book Richardson situation. And And that's not going away. And then you have the questions of whether or not should Sean Miller have known what was going on. So that that's not going away. Uh, I'm not quite as pessimistic on Arizona's chances going forward. I know they lose a ton this year. I know they don't have any recruits right now. I, I expect them to really hit the grad uh, transfer market hard. Mm-hmm. And, and what a, I mean, you have a lot to sell there. Like, hey, come to here for a year. You'll play right away, play in the NCAA tournament. Um, so I think, I think they'll be okay there. But <clears throat> long-term wise, I think you're right. I mean, you're not going to – they got to be the easiest school to recruit against in the Pac-12, maybe the country right now, given – you know, because all you have to say is like, yeah, you can go there, but you don't right. know if the coach is going to be there. You're not, you don't know if you're going to play in the NCAA tournament. No one knows anything. So they definitely have obstacles that they've never faced. And, you know, that's going to be a problem. And a huge unknown right now that may have a massive impact on the future of Sean Miller – is if the current freshman class, other than DeAndre Ayton, if there's a flood of transfers from the program once the season's over. If you see Emmanuel Acott and or Brandon Randolph or Alex Barcella or Ira Lee or any combination of them say, pull the Sharif O'Neal or Brandon Williams and say, nah, it's not yeah. really where we want to be. That would be a problem. That would be a huge problem. Now, to your point, these are all kids that likely came to Arizona with NBA hopes. 
I'm not sure sitting out a year. I don't know that the NCAA would grant them a waiver based on speculation, but um, I think that's the that could be a real damaging blow. If not, people look at and say they're losing all five guys and have a recruiting class. They're screwed. They return five guys next year. Add Chase Jeter. That's a solid six, assuming the progress is made from some of these freshmen. You add a one or two grad transfers and recruit. It's still a it's still a team that's got a chance to contend in the Pac-12. Right, contend. Yeah, yeah. You're. Or, I mean, I would say you're basically like you know Oregon is most years. You right. Know? right. Which is fine. Um, you know, it may not be what you know Arizona fans are used to, but you know, still not a terrible situation. Um, I don't know what. What do you think about where they, you know, I was expecting Sean Miller's back, Alonzo Trier is, is back. Right. I, I got into McHale Center. I was there like two hours early and Trier was out on the court shooting. And I noticed he had his game, he had his jersey or his game shorts on. I'm like, wow, he really looks like he's getting ready to play. Yeah. And then it popped up on Twitter like two seconds later from the university, uh, from a player's program Twitter that he was going to play. But I thought they were going to come out and just hammer Stanford. I mean, I thought all this emotion, they're going to come out. But they didn't. Yeah. And I know Stanford, Stanford's talented. They are. Um, you know, and then California, you know, I got out of the ASU game uh, on Saturday and, and was listening to on the radio. I'm like, are they really struggling with California? Jody, California's terrible. Atrocious. <laughs> Just awful. You know, and I get I get it. It's senior day. And Lord knows there's a lot of emotion going through that program right now. But, you know, a lot of people think like, this is it. This is what they needed to pull themselves together. Well, I thought they were going to open the season that way. I'm not sure that it, it is. I'm not sure that the that the guys on that team just want to get out of there and just be done with it. Maybe. Um, as we've talked about off and on, I don't think much of any of this is a surprise to the current team. Like, I don't think they were floored <laughs> that there were allegations, you know, and, and, and agents, runners involved. Like, these kids know more than any of us because they lived it. And, they, you know, they've, they've either actively gone through that process or avoided the process or aware of others that have. So uh, here's the thing that we keep coming back to with Arizona. They won both games. I mean, all they do is win. They've lost. They haven't lost much this year. If you take away the disastrous start in the Bahamas, this is a one seed. This is a one seed <laughs> in the NCAA because they just simply have not lost many basketball games, but it's not enough for us. And I, I and I agree with you. I was expecting more, but I've ex- I've been expecting more most of the season, and they just but they win. They're winning. Let me ask you this: <clears throat> Given today how players are, say, say players did know every, that there's more out there, yeah. and it's players talk to parents. Parents get mad that their kids not playing. Do you think something would have come out by now that Probably. maybe uh, Irely's dad or parent? I don't know. I don't want to say I don't know anything about Irely's family, but someone's family says something to somebody, and it gets to a reporter that you know what, those kids can't play because there's just too much speculation out there. There's too much going on. I've been, Doug, I've been waiting for years for somebody to be the whistleblower for this. Mm-hmm. And, and when I watched LeBron James, literally the most powerful basketball presence in the world, be asked specifically about whether he was offered any improper gifts and given an opportunity to really just say, hey, man, yeah, I got offered XYZ by this school, that school, this person, that... And LeBron James was like, man, I can't get into that. I can't talk about that. Like, no one's willing to blow the whistle, and I can't figure out why. So I'm, I'm bringing that up because I'm not surprised that a parent hasn't, you know, blackmailed or used it as leverage for playing time or to complain 
Um, because no one seems willing that's actively involved in it to just come out and say, here's what's happened. Nate Robinson did, but it was about UW football. <laughs> you know, he was offered 100 k <laughs> per year. And everyone says, everyone <laughs> says players get paid. But we almost never hear, this is why the Sean Miller initial story was so explosive, we almost never hear details or specifics. And when LeBron passed on that opportunity, this guy's a billionaire. Right. He's got nothing to lose. And he was like, no, I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going anywhere close to that. Right, right. So... Uh, yeah, but, we'll see how it affects them in the in the in the postseason. They're the most talented team in, to, that will be in Vegas. Um, you know, they should win. Yeah. Do I think they will? If I had to pick a favorite going into it, obviously you would pick. I, I'm going with anybody that has DeAndre Aiden. Yeah. <laughs> um, do I think it's going to be easy? No. Would I be surprised that if ASU beats Colorado, if and you know, and they give them a good game and possibly win. That wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me if you know if, if any team loses, just because that's the Pac-12 has just been so unpredictable. But we could get ASU U of A part three, though. I I hope we do. I'm, yeah. That's that's the one thing I want. I'm going to Vegas. I'm excited about going to Vegas. It's a great event. It's it's the best event I've covered, uh, just based on location, yeah, uh, the vibe and everything. I want to see that a third time because the first two games were incredibly fun. And we'll see where. It- Puts Arizona in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I think they're anywhere from a two to a four seed right now is kind of their ceiling, right? If they win the Pac-12 tournament, they're to me they're a two seed. Yeah, I, I would probably say three, uh, but yeah, I could. I I think you can make a, a very strong argument that they deserve a two if they yeah. win the tournament. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out in March with the Arizona Wildcats. Meanwhile, ASU they've got Colorado. They're the nine seed in the Pac-12 tournament. Nine seat. Nine. Nine. That does not. I I remember going into after the non-conference season, I remember telling people the worst they would do in conference would be uh, six losses. You know, we had the (laughs) conversation. 12 and six. I thought that would be the absolute worst. They would be 12 and six. And I, you know, I thought that's what if they, you know, (laughs) slip up a couple of times, you know, I felt that strongly about them. But man, uh, to go from where they were to being the ninth seed. That, that is a steep drop. You know what's so bizarre is that ASU's the nine seed in the Pac-12 tournament, but they're a firmer tournament team right now than the two seed USC. <laughs> it is bizarre. And it's not, I, I mean, listen, I think ASU deserves to be in the tournament. I really do. That's not right, though. Like, USC should be, the, the conference standings should matter, and they shouldn't be the be-all, end-all, and ASU shouldn't be excluded just because they finished ninth. But you've got USC, UCLA, and Utah, the two, three, four teams in the Pac-12 that are all bubble teams. One or two of them are probably going to make the tournament. But Arizona State, aside from losing to Colorado, are likely in. It's just weird. (laughs) It's weird. It is strange. I I think the worst, even if ASU goes to Vegas and loses to Colorado, the absolute worst they could do would be the the first four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I just think that, and I I understand what the what the committee does by. You know, looking at the entire picture instead of the last ten, which they don't do anymore. Um, you know, people are saying like, "Well, they finished with below five hundred in the conference." They don't look at that, right? You know, they're looking at the entire picture. If you didn't do that, if you just weighed the conference a little bit more, no one would play anybody. You would have no reason to play anybody in November and December. Right. So I do understand that, but you know, I've heard Bobby Hurley say one too many times now <laughs> when when asked about his his team and where they're at and their NCAA tournament candidacy. You know, what we did back in November and December. I yeah. mean, gosh, that's such a long time ago. So many teams. I mean, they've changed. Everybody's changed since then. Right. Uh, it, it. You know, I've said it before. On paper, yeah, they shape up as an NCAA tournament team. What you see on the court, 
Not so much. Yeah, Bobby, I and and we talked about this on the drive yesterday from the audio you posted on Twitter of him kind of rubbing Xavier's nose in the fact that they beat them and spared them further embarrassment. I was like, listen, I'm a I'm a Bobby Hurley fan. That that was just kind of unnecessary. And it was like, man, that was a long time ago. If you're a nine seed and you get paired up with Xavier's the one seed. <laughs> They're going to remember that. And I know Bobby doesn't care about that kind of stuff, but I, I just thought, like you, like you mentioned, November and December is a lifetime ago in college basketball, and you lost 10 games in the conference. That's one of the worst Power 5 conferences, maybe the worst Power 5 conference in the country that, yeah. this year. I would say that. You lost 10 games. You sub-500. You're a nine seed. I, I, I know he was just sticking up for his team, and um, I get it, but... I'm still surprised they're in this position. That was, I, I can't remember another time where he has said something that I just kind of like in my mind was going, wow. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, cause you're right. I mean, that does have the potential to come back and bite them. Uh, and, you know, at first, I, I will admit, at first I thought, like, really? I mean, that was a 16 point win. I don't remember them, you know, having the, I don't remember that game being out of reach, but I did go back and look and they were up 20 with under three minutes to go. So, you know, whether or not they were, you know, taking their foot off the gas, I don't know. But uh, very interesting. You know, I I don't know what to expect from ASU. I mean, do I think they could cause trouble in the Pac-12 tournament, in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think they could. But, we, man, we haven't seen that team in a long, long time. If you had to put your finger on the single biggest issue or difference between ASU in December and ASU now, what is it? It's 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 a simple answer. It's just shooting. I remember back then thinking, and I actually tweeted out one time, like you know, everyone's talking about the additions: Remy Martin, Romello White, Mickey Mitchell. Those three senior guards were playing at an extremely high level. Trey at Holder, the same time, at the same time, Shannon Shannon Evans would hit hit every big shot in the non conference season. Trey scored forty points uh, against Xavier. <laughs> you know, twenty nine at Kansas, um, and Cody Justice was you know he had twenty nine against Kansas State. I mean, they were all playing so well. And then they got into the conference season. And they, I mean, just rarely, just in stretches, have they all played well at the same time. You know, they don't have options inside. In the Pac-12, they, they, haven't, they can't come out of a timeout, set up a play for Romello White on the block uh, because he's, he's undersized. And it just doesn't work. Everything has to be on the perimeter. And they just, you know, they haven't shot well. They haven't, you know, when they get to the basket, they're not getting the calls that they've gotten. Um, you know, and that, that's kind of taken away their... That's what they did. That's how they. Yeah. That's how they won those games. It's a good answer. I I, I uh, completely agree. I, I I do think the Ramella White thing. Remember in December he was the revelation. It, it was. was hey Ramella White's back. He served his little punishment. He's in the game. He was a difference maker for them. Active putbacks, giving them energy down low. I haven't seen that Ramella White maybe uh, once or twice in Pac-12 play. Did you see some of that December version of Ramella White? But He's just been basically neutralized in the Pac-12, and I think that's put even more... When those shots don't fall, they have zero chance of winning. Well, three points against Stanford. Um, eight against Travis, yeah. <laughs> eight, eight against Oregon State. Didn't score against Oregon. Eight against Arizona. You know, you could really go down the line and say anytime he plays against any sort of size, he struggles a little yeah. bit. And, you know, that that's it's not all his fault. I mean, no. he's undersized. He's doing what he can down there, but... That, that's been a big difference. Um, you know, I don't know. And then, you know, the Stanford game, you know, they got down 
you know, and, and Bobby always points this out. He goes, we've been in every game, which is true. They have been in every game. Yeah. You know, in the final minutes, they've been there, but they just haven't found a way to to pull out those games. <laughs> you know, and we, we hear that a lot, but at some point you have to start winning. You have to start delivering the clutch. And I know Trey Holder hit the big shot to beat USC, but they haven't done it often enough. Um, you know, and that kind of leads me to another point is, you know, Jody, they lost to Stanford by a point. You know, they fought hard to get back into the game. You know, it's a bad look when you when when Bobby has a technical foul. You know, it was a three-point. Remy Martin shot a three-pointer, uh, but the whistle, the official waved it off because he called a post foul. And then Dorian Pickens hits two free throws. You know, that that's that's the difference. I don't want to say it's the difference in the game, but it doesn't look good in a one-point loss. And people are noticing, right? I mean, you you had an article recently uh, talking to Michael Crow, the university president, about Bobby Hurley's. And it, I, I imagine in addition to other things, but, you know, <laughs> clearly the big headline out of it was, you know, Michael Crow's essentially wants Bobby Hurley to tone it down a little bit. Now, the context of it, I, I thought it was a very reasonable, measured reaction from Michael Crow. It wasn't a, Bobby Hurley's got to tone <laughs> things down or else. It was, hey, we love his intensity. It's what makes him, uh, he, we, we love Bobby Hurley. But there were two things I thought Michael Crow said that were interesting. One, Michael Crow just flat out came out and said, I don't believe officials win or lose games for teams. Right. And two, Bobby hasn't been coaching a super long time, and he's got to learn that you can't you can't eat at the officials like that every game, every opportunity. But we love Bobby Hurley, so I thought there was some context there that that's important to know. Yeah, let me tell you how that this actually started at the Sun Bowl um, <laughs> back in December. It was right after the whole Todd Graham, Herm Edwards stuff, and I was standing in the press box, and Michael Crow came up, and we talked for about fifteen or twenty minutes about you know, their decision-making uh, on firing Ty Graham and hiring Herm Edwards. And, you know, we just said like, well, hey, let's let's sit down and talk sometime. <laughs> Michael Crow is a busy man. Yeah. So uh, we didn't get a chance to do that till just a few, just a week ago. And we talked, Jeff Metcalf was there as well. We talked for about an hour and we talked about a lot of different things. Um, some of the stories I've already, we've caught, we talked about the problems with college basketball. We talked about the Herm Edwards hire. We talked about what he looks for when he hires a head coach. And we talked about Bobby Hurley and I asked a question and the way I phrased it, Jody, was I said, hey, look, I've been on this beat for a while. I've never seen a more laid back coach off the court than Bobby Hurley. Uh, very personable, very laid back. At the same time, I've never seen a coach more intense than Bobby Hurley on the court or on the field. And a lot of that intensity is kind of geared toward the officials, which is true. How do you view that? And I asked that question because I know at one point that Michael Crow and Ty and um, Ray Anderson did not approve of you know some of what some of the things that Ty Graham was doing right. on the sidelines. So, you know, and he he did. I, I wasn't surprised what he said. Uh, and really, anybody who pays attention to Bobby Hurley should not be surprised about what he said. And 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 also a big thing I do know with when Michael Crow and he mentioned this is he wants his coaches to be coachable. And not every, he made a point to say not every coach that they've had has been coachable, but he feels like that's a very important part of their growth at ASU. And, you know, he feels like Bobby Hurley being a young coach, this is just part of his growing process. He's not down on Bobby Hurley. He's right, very right. excited about what he's done, what he's brought. Uh, he he loves his passion. He just feels like it needs to be redirected at times. That, that makes sense. Right. I mean, I, I think anybody who's watched Bobby Hurley, even if you love that side of him, would acknowledge uh, at some point that, it has to change. It doesn't have to be removed from his coaching style, but it's got to change. Well, I've heard from ASU fans going, "Why are you? Why are you trying to cause problems now? <laughs> you know, um, why I'm are you, sure. Why yeah. are you asking those questions? Well, well, it's relevant. 
you know, Bobby Hurley just a week ago was fined by the Pac-12, reprimanded for the second time. Then you had the technical foul, which he brought up. I asked him after the post-game press conference about Cody Justice's missed free throws, and he said, well, you know, I got a technical foul that hurt us. So to his credit, he acknowledged that. So it is, it is newsworthy. It is relevant. Um, do I think Bobby will change dial it back? I'm not real sure about that. Yeah. I mean, because he is who he is. But here, here's, here's what I think. I mean, just observing it, just my own opinion, that when you, when you contest every call, especially on your home court, it sends a message to your team that it's five against eight, the other team plus the three officials. And maybe, yeah, maybe that gets them to play a little bit harder because they feel like they have to overcome greater odds. But I also wonder if in the back of their minds, they know if, there's a, if it's a tight game, going down to the final seconds, which ASU has been in a lot of, that they're going to get screwed right. by things they cannot control. Right. I think it's a great point. I think it has the potential to create an excuse culture where when things don't go wrong, it's not accountability for their own actions or own not being in the right place where they need to be or making the right pass. It's, well, the officials screwed us. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that's the case because I don't know what Bobby Hurley's doing in his meetings with his team during the week and outside of the game, but it does have the potential to kind of create that kind of environment. Yeah, and by, I mean, everyone also is aware of the Pac-12 officiating. Yes. <laughs> it's not They're the, not good. It's not the best. And I think you could stretch that to pretty much uh, across college basketball. I think if you go to the ACC, the Big Ten, the SEC, I think were, those fans will tell you that, yeah, our officiating Pac-12's sucks. Pac-12's a special kind <laughs> of suck, though. They really are. They're just a special kind. <laughs> but, but good teams overcome it. Yeah. And no matter if you're at home, on the road, you find a way to overcome it. Applies to all teams. Right. And, and a coach has to pick his spots. There is absolutely a time where a coach should get a technical foul. Um, but it, a lot depends on, you know, the situation, the game, the moment, you know, whether your team needs a spark. Maybe Bobby, um, you know, factors all that stuff in. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I, I think he's tired of, his, of it being an issue. But uh, like I said, I would just be surprised if he if he dials it back. Yeah, it was a good 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 insight there from Michael Crow and in, in the article you did at azcentral.com. Um, lastly, uh, newsy week for ASU. Tayshawn Cherry got expelled from his high school, <laughs> and this is the same recruit that was mentioned in the original FBI report. Uh, I don't remember the exact context of him being meant. Was alleging a family member had accepted something? Was that the? I don't know if it accepted or asked. Discussed. It was yeah. Yeah, part of. It, the, I mean, it was a, it was a minor part right. of the entire report, but was in there. Uh, I mean, allegedly, according to a source, yeah, there was a player identified as F eight. A source told the LA Times that that was Tayshawn Cherry. Okay, so may or may not be. I, I yeah, I mean, his mom has since refuted that. Right. Uh, so. That's where we are with that. But he got expelled from high school. And this, last week, he got excelled, uh, expelled from Foothills Christian High School that's outside of San Diego. Uh, this broke last week when I was actually in Tucson. So I did make some calls. I reached out to his high school coach, his family. Uh, the only thing I learned, no one wanted to talk about it. The only thing I learned that it's not, you know, nothing with the law, uh, but it's not a good look. No, no. It's <laughs> I mean, not. it's not a good look. It, you know, I don't think it's going to jeopardize his commitment to Arizona State. But, you know, it's <laughs> when you're top recruit like that, and there was a lot of excitement around it, and he was at the game on Saturday. I couldn't get to him. But, you know, it's, it's just not a good look. I mean, I, mean, I imagine he's going to complete his high school academic requirements and will enroll uh, or sign with ASU in April and everything will be fine. But, you know, just for a program that's had so much, <laughs> so much momentum – uh, you know, everything's kind of hitting them, hit, hitting them at the wrong time. You want to recruit five stars? Got to get your hands dirty a little bit. Sometimes you do. That's Sometimes you do. the nature of the business, which is why Arizona may or may not be in the position they are currently <laughs> in, not drawing any connections, saying 
This is the slippery slope that can lead to both the euphoria of landing players and the slippery slope of potentially mm, figuring out ways to circumnavigate rules. Totally independent of Tayshawn Cherry. I don't know Tayshawn Cherry, and I've never talked to him. I've talked to his family. I've talked to people who know him well. Uh, but, you know, ASU, their last five-star recruit, according to Rivals anyway, was Kiala King. I don't know uh, if you remember yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he was a guy that, you know, was questionable as far as, you know, attitude. And, you know, they thought, well, we'll get him here and get him in a, to a structured environment. And, you know, <laughs> it did not Didn't work, work out. out well. Didn't work out well. So, you know, and there are other kids that, you know, other examples where it works out fine. Right. But, uh, when you take questionable kids and they end up, you know, turning the page and understanding what's important and, and you know, work uh, to do the right thing. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. We've got uh, the Pac-12 tournament this week, Selection Sunday, which will be on TBS this year. Which Two will, hours, right? Which will cause total chaos because everyone's <laughs> going to turn it to CBS. And be like, Where's the Selection show? It's on TBS. It's two hours. Uh, we both expect ASU to be in there one way, shape, or form, even I, if they lose to Colorado. I'd agree with you. Yeah, I, I think they're in no matter what. Uh, you know, might be a 12 seed, might be a playing game, 11 seed, who knows? Arizona, three or four, depending on what they do. I think they're probably four worst case scenario, probably yeah. three if they win a couple games in the Pac 12 tournament. So we will be back uh, next week for a pre tournament edition of the Two Man Weave podcast. Any final words, Doug? I'm excited for March, uh, but like I said, if I were you guys, I would stay close to you know your computer tomorrow because, like I said, uh, usually after we wrap this up, big, new, big news breaks the following day. So the two men we jinx. <laughs> That's right, single-handedly wreaking havoc in the college basketball landscape. For Doug Haller, covers ASU, U of A, college hoops, and so much more for AZ Central Sports, AZCentral.com, and on Twitter at Doug Haller. I'm Jody Ayler, host of The Drive on Fox Sports 910 Phoenix, on Twitter at Radio J-O-D-Y. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Two Men We Podcast.